Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have with me a very special guest, Alan Scott. Alan, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. And good morning to you. Yeah, you too. Yeah, yeah. Well, now it's afternoon, right? It's, it's about one thirty. <laughs> <in> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I just had somebody actually. It's funny that um, you said you told me it was one p.m. because when I looked for some reason, it told me it was noon. Uh, so I'm glad you said that because then I had somebody else that's really close to you and I'm totally blank on who it was. So I actually went and changed their time because <laughs> I was like, oh, they're like, yeah, I'll meet you at that time. I was like, oh, but 8 a.m. standard time or Eastern time isn't their time. So I was so glad that I was able to fix that. Uh, so we'll start right in with that first question there, Alan. What has your writing journey been like up until this point? Oh, blimey. It was a bit long. Um, as, as some of your people may know, I'm, dis- I'm actually dyslexic. Uh, so all through school, um, writing wasn't really on my radar at all, because uh, I'm quite old, 50 odd, way, way back in time, being dyslexic was your thick, stupid and thing. Yeah. So what? So I didn't actually, I, but I loved reading. I loved reading fantasy books and sci-fi books. And it was really sort of, I'd call it a bit of midlife crisis when I was about 40. I thought, I'm going to write my own. Mm. So I sat down one day and I went, OK, let's, let's have a shot at this. And some of my favourite authors, um, like David Gemmell, Franz Lieber, they always had a, a more mature uh, main character. And I thought, I'm going to write a book. But it's a more mature main character. Yeah. So I sat down and started to write. And it just flowed and it flowed. And that's how Echoes of the Storm came about, my very first book. And so that was basically my journey. I made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> as you do when you start saying, I know that yeah, this works, doesn't work. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, but I also made some really good friends out of this because, as you know, writing can be very solitary. Yeah, yeah. You know, you lock yourself in a room, you're there with your typewriter, pen, paper, or your laptop, you're, you're thinking of these ideas and all going through your head. And it can be quite a solitary thing. But there's also, but I don't think people also realize, there's that support mechanism around you. The, the people that edit it, people that give you honest feedback, people that do your covers, things like that. So I got, I, I came around, I had these wonderful people I'd never met before starting to come into my world to help me develop my stories and put them out there. So that was, in a sort of a nutshell, that was really my story. A deep, deep love of, of stories, especially fantasy and sci-fi with a little bit of, because of my man, let's say, well, I used to love Sven Hassel, an author called Sven Hassel. He used to do World War II books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you're a 14 year old boy, you love that sort of thing. <laughs> that was a deep love of that. And uh, I served 12 years in the military. Oh, cool. So I took all that experience as well with me, seeing the world, meeting different people. I've done two tours of the Falklands. I've been in three years in Germany, that sort of thing. Oh, wow. So all that. That, that knowledge and experience and seeing different people in different cultures, which I think is vitally important for anyone to see this. So when I sat down to write my own books, I wanted to draw on all of that experience and write it as a 40-year-old male. You know, I'm not a 30-year-old female. I'm not, you know, <laughs> going through teenage acts. I wanted to write the books from my point of view, from a, from a man's point of view of slightly older. And, that, and that's what I've tried to stay true. And luckily... I've, I've had a lot of people buy into that. Mm. And perhaps I've, I'll be, I'm maybe taking the back of people like um, the Twilight series and things like that. Who, they've got into fantasy books as a older. And as you get older, you want to perhaps see yourself reflected in the books yeah, yeah, yeah. as you get as you get older. Yeah, yeah, characters. Yeah. Um, so that's how that's that's basically my how my writing journey started. 
moderator on a writing site that's now gone. I was mm. a moderator for fantasy and horror. Um, so that got me a wee bit more into that and building my, and now I'm, I'm 53 now, so I've got 13 years of experience. Oh, wow. I don't call myself a professional. I'm an amateur. I still wish one day, you never know, I might be discovered. But my books have done not too bad. My audio book's not too bad. And as long as I have the love of writing, I'll carry on doing it. And if I have seven people read it, you know what? Fabulous. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my journey. That's how I've started. And that's how I've got to where I am now. Well, I, first of all, let's not forget, you know, um, George R. R. Martin, you know, was quite established, you know, until Game of Thrones, you know, he had been mm. in it, you know, I think, I, I believe 17 years, something, something crazy like that, you know, until, you know, he wrote Game of Thrones, you know, so your Game of Thrones, yeah. you know, still out there. So, <laughs> um, but the other thing I love, I love this is that, you know, you do make a really good point. And we've talked about this with several authors on here that, you know, a lot of people think that you have to write about, a, you know, 18 year old you know, at the start of their life, you know, and it's like, but not everybody's 18, you know, like I'm 34, you know, like I want to read about somebody who's, you know, having some back problems, you know, (laughs) you know, has to be careful of, you know, what they do and, you know, not these always these supermen, you know, it's like, you know, like one guy I know, like uh, in a book, he he was like 34, 40, and he jumps off this tall building. And I'm like, that would hurt. Like, you know, and then he does this fight and I'm like, there's no way, there's no way, you know, and I think that's why people really like Joe Ambercrombie too, you know, as he, he really oh, has a mesh of, ca- oh, uh, he does a great yeah. job of that, you know, and I've been trying to think of that too, you know, like, you know, I always think like, you know, how old is this character, you know, and, um, you know, and then, you know, I have a, uh, I was talking, you know, before we started my first fantasy novel, like I'm have them where they start at 17 and then later on you know they're going to be like 30 um and then you know towards the end you know they're going to be in their 40s you know and it really spans a lot of time and um I think it's good that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people forget right that you know um (laughs) um single you know before I met my wife I was like I was like 27 about to turn 28 I was like I do not want to date anymore you know, women under 24 that don't have a master's <laughs> degree, you know what I mean? And I just was like, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I had been doing that for a while. And I was just like, they were at a different point in their life than I was about to be 28, you know, and then professional, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I just wanted somebody to act more professional. So I always tease her. She was 23 and three fourths <laughs> when I met her. So I said, yeah, you almost didn't make the cutoff, but you know, it, it, you know, we talked about that though. We have a friend, you know, whose spouse is significantly younger and he's like, oh man, like, you know, she's in a different spot, you know, and, but it's mm. true, right? Like if you're, you know, Very you're in a total true. different spot, 30 and 40 compared to 20, you know, and I think that we forget that in writing. So I think you make a fabulous point there. Yeah. And the, the, the people also forget fantasy had a bad rep 20, 30 years ago. I did yeah. have it, graphic novels and things like that, but nowadays it's become more mainstream and people yeah. forget there's such a wide range of fantasy. Yeah, you yeah. can do the elves and the dwarves and all that sort of thing and, the, and Twilight and, stuff, and aim it at teenagers. Then you can have the darker side and perhaps I would argue the more interesting grey characters. Mm. You know, it's not all black and white. You have the more interesting grey and the more and they, they reflect the problems of a more mature and then you can even go to the other ends and you've got the dark fantasy you've got the high fantasy you've got low fantasy you've got as you see you've got the ones that is just switch on brain and enjoy what's on the page you know you know you know leaps off massive building gets on, <laughs> breaks a leg two minutes later he's running and running a mile whatever it is there's that wonderful mass and each one 
is unique in itself and you can enjoy it for what it is. There are, as you know yourself, there's books you read and you go, I can relate to this and I enjoy it. There's other ones you go, I'm just going to switch my brain off and go with the story. Yep, Take yep. me I, wherever you're going. <laughs> I call it, we call it the Jason Statham effect where you have, you know, <laughs> In like the transporter where he flips the car over and the bomb gets knocked off by the bulldozer or the crane. Yeah. It's like, it's like, ah, it's, it's going to be fun, you know, but I, I agree. There's, yeah, there's definitely two, two main types for me. It's, and those are the types. Yeah. And stories are there to entertain. Yeah. I've had some feedback in some of my books. I'm going, okay, that's fair enough. You, you can give me feedback. You've bought it. You're entitled to give you feedback, but this is a book to entertain. Yeah, yeah, you know, don't don't pick up these little bits here and there. It's not there's no historical accuracy. It's a fantasy <laughs> book in a fantasy setting. Yeah, and so so if you didn't enjoy it, thank you for buying it. Great for leaving a review. It's a two star. That's fine. That's your right. And I think that's one thing with authors. I find I've talked to somebody. We need to have a bit of thick skin. We yeah. all criticize, and there are going to. Be, I always say there's twenty percent of people will love our work. 20% of people will loathe our work and 60% of people will be totally indifferent. <laughs> and, and, we, and, and we sometimes go too much on those people that are negative, but we, 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 that's why I think writing, and I've said this before, you have to write for the joy of it. Yeah. If you write for the joy of it, people will pick up on that and they will enjoy what you write because there'll always be someone that's going to open up your brain and go, it's not for me. Yeah, that's fine. I've yeah. done it myself. I've read a book and gone, and some big name authors going, or and they're multi millionaire big name yeah, authors, yeah. you know. It's but we have to have that thing anyway. I've digressed slightly, Daniel. So no, no, I, I, I know. I, I think you make a I love meandering because it always makes a good point. Um, you know, I, I think you make a good point there. You know, is like I, I saw a couple authors recently where it's their first book and they're like. And I get it, you know, because I'm excited anytime, you know, I get somebody downloading or views, you know, and my wife, I said it today, I was like, well, I was excited about one was like, you know, four views before seven o'clock, you know. So today was a great day, you know, having 102 yeah. uh, downloads on rss.com. It's pretty good today. But, you know, it's like, I, I still, she's like, you feel the same if it's one or two before you go to work that you do as 102. And I get that, you know, and I, I do understand, you know, the, the ratings and things like that. But I, I, I feel like I've seen so many of my friends, you know, and uh, writing coworkers where it's like, they get so devastated by a bad review. And I'm like, well, like there are certain reviews that like, I just throw out, like, I'll never one star a book. If I one star a book, I consider that, that I did not pick the, the right book or I, yes. or it wasn't for me. And if I slog yes. through it, that is not, I like to finish all books that, you know, at least at some point, it's just a personal matter of pride, but like, you know, I might come back to it years later. There have been some where, oh man, there was just a book recently where I was like, oh, this is not for me. And then, you know, five years later, oh, Wheel, Wheel of Time was one, you know, I picked up Wheel of Time oh, as yeah. a kid, Terry Goodkind, you know, uh, yeah. you know, um, uh, Legend of the Seeker, you know, like, and then I picked them up, you know, six, seven years later, well, I had a different life experience then, you know, the book's Yes. You know, they hit me. My friend tried to get me to read Kevin uh, Hearn's Iron Drew Chronicles, you know, earlier in college. And I just don't think I was there yet. You know, I was like, nah, I wasn't. It wasn't Kevin. It was just I didn't even look at the book. I was like, oh, it's urban fantasy. I don't read urban fantasy. Well, then he bought me one before I moved uh, to Arizona. And then I moved to right where Kevin was writing the books where he used to live mm. in 
you know, in Tempe. And, you know, I was walking by buildings and going to restaurants that the character was going to like Rula Bula in Tempe. And I had the fish and chips at that's Atticus is like his main character, his favorite food, you know, and it was just, uh-huh. it, you know, it hit me 10 years later is totally differently and end up being one of my favorite book series of all time. So, you know, I just, but you know, I, I never, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, do those things. I just personally, I think one star reviews, I don't know. I wish it was like a one through four system, honestly, because I just think one out of five just doesn't do anything for you. And I don't know. I know. And I just no. see people too, for, you know, like, like one guy, for instance, the other day for his Amazon review, right. Um, one of my friends, he posts and he goes, well, it's a fair review. And I'm like, it's not a fair review in it. They put the book was falling apart. I said, you have nothing to do with Amazon doing that. I said, that should not be in your book review. And I've seen so many reviews where now I'm like, okay, I'm like, it's like I tell my students, I'm like, if you have a teacher that has a skewed grading system, you can't get upset with the grading system. You know, like, you know, you, I think you take what you learn from it, but I, I do feel there's a lot wrong with Goodreads and Amazon's, you know, review system. And I just oh. personally think that if you make that your thing, so I want to bring it back to what you said about the joy of writing. I think if, I think you yes. can't do it based off reviews. I, you know, I think you really have to base it off of, you know, people who are enjoying your work and, you know, enjoying the, I, that's why I enjoy all my coworkers like yourself. Like, you know, I enjoy being part of the community mm. rather than, you know, not that I won't be one of those people that looks at reviews, but I just already feel like I'm putting, you know, I'm making my skin thick. Cause it's like, you know, Brandon Sanderson oh, yeah. has bad reviews, you know, JK Rowling has bad reviews and it's like, they don't care. They're sitting there and you know, Brandon's got his well, own. Well, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, because I follow Joari Crombie on, on Twitter. Mm. That is Dark Lord. Or oh, I, I love his he, he bad review. Yes, he always tweets on Thursday. <laughs> he only does one or two star reviews. Yeah. And to me, it is fabulous <laughs> because it proves to us independent authors that also big name authors can get bad yeah, reviews. Yeah. And there's a difference between a critical review and a, a, a nasty, vindictive review. I agree. And some people just, I got hammered on Goodreads. Absolutely! Oh my god, I I got ripped to shreds on Goodreads in one of my books, and I thought, oh come on! I mean, they, they were really really nasty, and I thought, well, this is not what is it? I don't normally read dark fantasy, and this book I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, and this book reinforced the reason why I don't read it. Well, why did you start reading if that's not what you normally read? And then once the did that's not finish fault. all the rest of it, and it's like, but. But it taught me a valuable lesson, brutal, but valuable lesson. If you're an author, make sure, because we just push our books out, but we don't target your audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And good, and I did one of these good raids, push your books out, and 100 people do it. I didn't target it right. Mm. And that, that was a hard lesson to learn, but as an independent author uh, who has to do all his, own, all his own PR stuff and all the rest of it, Make sure you target the right audience because if you target the wrong audience, you are looking to get ripped apart because there's so many people. And I find Goodreads quite a brutal place. I got a lot of negative reviews on Goodreads and a lot of very positive reviews on Amazon. That seems like to be the that seems types. to be the pattern. I don't know pattern. why. I, I I don't know why. I don't I I don't know if it's because people think that authors, you know, because your Amazon profile you know, is linked directly to your book. So I don't, yeah. I, th- I think maybe people think that, oh, Goodreads, these authors don't see it, but it's like you do. Yeah. So 
I don't. I don't get it. I think there's a snobbery about it. I really, it really think is, there's a yeah. snobbery about Goodreads. I'm a professional book reviewer. Yep. Okay. No, you're not. Um, well, on Amazon, I like that. Yep. You know, or if they're good enough, they'll put it if you like it on Amazon. Um, though, of course, there's a lot of people. I've done it myself. Don't leave reviews, and it's like, please, 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 please leave a review. Um, I'd rather have a three star than nothing. Glee yeah, takes yeah. me up the review. Well, even the two star, even two stars help you. If it's constructive feedback, yeah, I hundred percent agree. Oh, I just mean with the algorithm, just the algorithm. Oh, so there is a. All right. Yeah. So there's a um, there was an article that just went out recently, um, and then like um, Dirk Ashton and those guys, and like Michael R. Fletcher, Jed Hearn, Robert J. Hayes were talking about it on Wizards, Warriors, and Wars. I guess now it was it wasn't just it was like back in like February, but um, Amazon released numbers and statistics and. Um, those guys were talking about how like you actually shouldn't just have a bunch of your friends post five-star reviews because yeah. it messes up your algorithm but honest two three and fours um, particularly twos and threes if you have more foot traffic actually help your book because they're because the the ones that do better for their algorithm at least this is how it was in the winter let's say that you had a bunch of four and five-star reviews they don't help you with the auto bots sometimes as much because they want your product if you're twos and threes to sell so sometimes they'll help you out with the algorithm um at certain times where then you know like you know they're like oh alan needs help because there's a bunch of twos and threes whereas your fours and fives are generally selling better right so they end up it's something with the autobots or autobots where they also about that where then they go back and um they just like reset a different way it was very very interesting and i was like oh so that's why i was trying to tell people like it really doesn't matter like you know you just you take your feedback and you know people that you trust and then you go and you make yeah. the next one better you know i also think when i'm choosing books myself if i see two and three stars they sort of ratify the five star because i'm thinking ah people are actually giving honest feedback on this book Rather having paying people to give reviews, have their friends giving reviews. Yeah, yeah. I always like if I, I always get a bit nervous when I see like all fours and fives. Yep. Yep. It's yep. like, mm, okay, yep. where are the twos and threes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not every goes back to what I said, you know, people not everyone will like your book. So where are the twos and threes? Yep. So I always like to see a number of twos and threes go, ah, perhaps this is our honest reviews up here. Yeah. And it gives me that choice to whether or not I want to buy yeah. the book or whatever I'm buying. I'm horrible because people ask me all the time because of this channel and stuff. They're like, they're like, do you blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't look at, I'll be honest. I'm one of those, I'm a person that I'm, I'm a huge art fan. I was going to originally be an illustrator. Um, I okay. absolutely, you know, I love, love art. So, you know, the first thing I look at is your cover. If I like it, I'll pick up the blurb. If I read your blurb and I like it and even sounds remotely interesting mixed with that cover, I'm like, I'm there. You know, I don't look at reviews. <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> care. There are some, I have this one episode that I'm going to do recently um, this summer, and I'm really spending time to put it together um, where I'm actually um, trying to get my friend um, Benjamin uh, Blackmore from literature and lo-fi uh, to help me. Cause he does the, he can, he brings up right here, the book covers and I don't know how to do that yet. So I want to do that, but like there are advertisements that I have seen where I'm like, these are amazing advertisement on, on Facebook. So I'm studying these people's advertisements and I'm putting them all in a document. I'm going to blog about it. I'm going to do a huge thing. Well, you know, some of these I go on and they're only like 60 reviews, but I'm like, 
you know, and they may not, may not be great, but their advertisement was amazing. Their book cover is incredible. Their blurb is great. And I'm like, that's really personally what I look for because I've just kind of learned to, you know, to see, you know, the, the forest, you know, the trees through the forest, so to speak. And I just feel that I, you know, sometimes it's hard, right. Cause you're looking at everything and I feel like reviews sometimes do that, you know, and I, I don't know, like there are also books where it's like, maybe some of the writing isn't the best, but the characters and the ideas were great, you know, and like you said, some people are very snobbish. So, you know, it's like, there might be something that mm. I enjoy in there that, you know, or a magic system, a magic item, maybe just the adventure, yeah. you know, itself. So I just feel like, I just feel we're getting in the age of reviews where it's, it's almost like Google, you know, like the other day I tried to find something mm. on YouTube. I had the title of the video and I still, it took me like an hour to find it. I feel like there's too much now. And I kind of feel like with technology, like reviews are almost, I think are bogging down still good books. And I think some people, cause everybody reviews differently. Right. And I think that again, I think it's a skewed system. So I personally, as a reader, I just throw it out. You know, I'm looking at some of your books and I'm like, oh, yeah, Ed, that's a good read. It's like, you know, I'm like, here we go, Amazon, Kindle. And I didn't even look to, you know, I looked for our interview, you know, just to see for questions and things. That's the only time I look at reviews for anybody. So well, I was very lucky to have Saskia do my covers. They're great. The one thing that I did learn was when Saskia agreed to do my covers. Yeah, they're fabulous. Um, and I agree with you about books, because if you ever look at, uh, Terry Pratchett's first books, Color of Magic and the like, fantastic. I love Terry Pratchett, right? I think he was who wrote the Discworld is a masterpiece. His first two books weren't weren't that great. When you get things to Guards Guards or Witches Abroad, they are fantastic books. But his first two, they were good. Don't get me wrong. They blow mine out of the water. I'm not saying any way, shape, or I'm struggling. I've, I've started books. I've started book two, three times. And I said, I, I think I just need some time in the summer where I can just take two days and sit down. But yeah, I, I agree. Reaper, Reaper Man, Witches Abroad. It, it shows an author at the peak of his skills. Uh, and that's what, like yourself, I never judge the author by the first book because that's, that's where they're learning. If you like the characters and you like what they're doing, then read the second and third book. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, if they, and then decide whether or not actually they're not very good or not. Yeah. But if you, as you say, if you buy into those characters, and I do think characters are vitally important, um, for, for, but they have to be. You have to invest in the character. It can be the best story in the world, but if, you're, if you can't connect with that character, you're, you're not going to finish the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes, yeah, anyway, yes. So that's that. And yeah, covers, like I say, Saskia. I was very, very lucky to get Saskia. Well, you said, you know, like, you know, book book two or three, a lot of people, they say, you know, really, um, I was reading a study recently. I just, I love reading about writing. And they say, like, most people don't hit the sophomore stage until book four, you know, mm-hmm. like at least book four. So that for me, I, I'll read the first three of somebody and then I'll always get to book four. If by book four, I don't like it, I'm like, eh, okay. I'll move on to somebody else and see if maybe book five eventually, you know, catches my fancy. But yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, I just like people to know that way, you know, they can give people a little bit of a break. I, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like, when, once I wrote a book, like someone said something, I go, have you written a book? You know, I'm like, it's a lot harder than it seems. I said, then you got to oh, write a second seems- one. And then you got to write a third one. I'm like, give the person a break, you know, like, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> All right. Now, if this would open, that'd be great. All right. So what genres do you currently write in and why? 
Okay. Um, as I said, mainly dark fantasy. I've dabbled in sci-fi. I've got two sci-fi books. Oh, okay. Uh, the Wifront Chronicles. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I call the Wifront Chronicles in a minute or two. Wifront Chronicles. Uh, I've done a little bit of poetry. I'm very bad mm. at poetry. They, they went, nah. And I've done a semi-autobiography called The Rain Dancer. It's a novella, 73 pages about being dyslexic in the modern world. So oh, that's, that's cool. So that's my... That's my genre. Like I say, dark fantasy, sci-fi, and like I say, a novella, 75 pages of being what it's like to be dyslexic in the modern world. Oh, that's cool. So that's what I'm able to do. There was one like um, author who, oh man, I can't believe it. It was about four years ago. I read um, like a fantasy story for them and it was like, oh, it's kind of like Rick, Rick Rordian did. Like all, like, like Percy's dyslexic um because yeah. he you know like he's a demigod and yeah. it's like part of like the magic system yeah. but there was another indie author years ago that i read well, who did the same thing and it was cool you forget Agatha christie was dyslexic yeah jules yeah, yeah. verne was dyslexic john lennon while he was not an author he wrote songs was dyslexic yeah there are because people this is what i came up against when I was young. oh you're dyslexic you can't possibly write a story mm. and you believe that and then as you get older, you go, and then you start going, oh, this author, um, Steve Jobs was dyslexic. Apple and all that. And, he's only, and this is where you all of a sudden, and it didn't hit me towards my 40s, going, wait a minute, you're always told being dyslexic, you're a fool, you're an idiot, it's a disadvantage. And all of a sudden you still go, why, how come all these big name people, why is it a disadvantage if Arthur Christie wrote all these books, Jules Verne, et cetera, et cetera. And then I read this book called The Dyslexic Advantage, and it just blew it all wide open. And that's why I wrote The Rain Dancer, because I wanted people to I wanted people to know what it was like. And I pushed it out. And actually, um, I, I worked for the council and I gave it mm. to all my managers and I actually went up to the chief exec because it was such a it's quite a hard hitting book. I'm very, very honest. I always change I always change percentages. It's 60% real, 40% author's privilege of twisting some of the facts right <laughs> and then i tell somebody 70 and i've done talks at libraries about it and everyone's going i never knew that all the other thing is you're dyslexic you can't spell yeah there is so much more to that than it is as well and especially as authors i want to get out there that just because you're dyslexic does not mean you can't tell a story yeah yeah and that's all that's all you are doing as an author you're telling a story and uh, this is what I'm seeing this collection of people because I wrote my I wrote my first books. I got a few proofreaders to do it, and then I self-published it. This is where I made all my mistakes. <laughs> and I got this I got this wonderful lady. I always she, she she's a very private person. So I always call her Lisa from Texas. Mm. Lisa Lisa from Texas came up and said, "Oh, your books. I love your book. God, the mistakes." And she said, "I'll proofread it for you." I said, "Look, Lisa, I can't afford it." I can't. She said, "I'll do it because I love your stories." Oh, that's cool. I went, "Are you sure?" I said, well, I can't. She said, well, send me your stories because she, she wanted to do be do something with English as a profession, but for whatever reasons, she couldn't do that. So she did this for me. And then she started to proofread all my stories. So I'd send them to her and she proofread them for me. And that's why I wrote, I, you, I don't know if you looked at my, my, my Amazon profile, there's a, there's a story called Tea in there. And I wrote Tea for her to say thank you. Oh, it's cool. got a wonderful... Saskia did a wonderful cover. It's the teapot, and in the mist, you see two faces. 
kind of like an art deco-ish cover. It's just called T. And the reason I wrote that for it was one of the characters I was going to kill off. So you can't possibly kill him off. He's my favorite character. I'm like, oh God, I've got to I had to totally rechange the story. And uh, so I wrote, I, I brought her favorite character and I wrote this short story and, and, and published it. And then the, the forward is that this is to Lisa W from Texas to say thank you very much for all our help. So I wrote that for her, put the acknowledgement for her and Saskia, like I said, created this wonderful cover of the teapot, the steam, and the two faces in the dark watching each other. And what the story is about was that one of the characters was a gay tailor in his 60s, and the other one's a, were a 600-year-old werewolf who have a cup of tea. And people go, this is, this is what my work's like. They go, what? But that's just the story. That's just the story. It's not what it's about. It's about loneliness. It's about mm. hiding who you are from the world. Um, and two people coming together once a year to be who they actually are as friends. So the, the, the gay tailor can, can just be himself. The werewolf can just stop having to put all these, and they can just sit and eat cake, have a cup of tea once a year and the coldest night of the year and be themselves as friends. And then the, the werewolf goes off and there's always like, and, they, they, and all the tailor can do because he's old is wait for his friend to come back in a year's time. So I want to do social isolation. There's a lot of old people. I don't know so much in America, but here in the UK, you have like tower blocks, and they're sixty. They've got no one to talk to. They're oh, waiting, yeah, yeah. you know, for so you know that. I wanted to bring that social aspect, and this is why some of my stuffs <coughs> mature not so much in sex and violence, etc., but it does mature themes of loneliness, being who you are. How can you? and hiding who you are and looking at who, something you can only do when you get a bit older and you can sit down and reflect on your life and people you've known and things change. So um, that that's how sort of, um, sort of my, my stories develop, et cetera, and how I write and, and, and things come together regarding the genres we were talking about. Yeah, we're talking about genres. I'm off on a tangent again. I do apologize <laughs> that. I've gone off on one again. Um, but, and, and that's how um, I wanted to write The Rain Dancer as reflection of that for myself in the real world. And, trying to give, and I've had on Twitter, I've had quite a lot of people come back saying, thank you for writing this, because I didn't know how to say it, or I now understand a bit more, or I'm a dyslexic writer, you've given me the courage to actually go forward with something. Oh, that's cool. And all you need is a really good proofreader, because there's a lot of people perhaps are not their great... But if you have you have the imagination, you have the stories, you can write them. You just need someone to help you better structure, proofreading, and you can produce really good stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I got Lisa. <laughs> Sorry, please no, please go on, Dad. No, I was go just on. gonna say it's just funny that you mentioned, you know, dyslexia, because I, I do think that people forget that Helen Keller also wrote two books. And I always tell my kids, they're like, I can't do this. I said, no offense. But I said, if Helen Keller could write two novels, you know, and not learn how to speak, you know, before age 12 or communicate with people, yeah. I said, you know, she started to learn letters, you know, um, you know, sign letters, you know, around, you know, 12 years old. I said, I, you guys already have. I said, first of all, you have something that she doesn't, you know, I said, you can communicate, you know, you can hear, you can see. I said, you know, you are leaps and bounds ahead of her in a race I said so if she can write two books you know like you know and I don't think some people realize but um I believe she was also um taught some college courses too you know I just I think that 
you know, like it's, it's, it's just barriers, right. You know, and you're just talking about exactly. barriers. And I just think that people, you know, I hear, I hear that all the time. You're, you're one of several, you know, authors um, who, who has dyslexia, who's come on and said that, you know, like, I didn't think I could do this, you know, and then this hit me or this person said this, or I read this book, you know, and I, I think you make a great point there. I mean, anybody can do this. ML Spencer, actually, I don't think a lot of people realize that with Dragon Mage, she actually didn't write anything. I mean, she was really struggling. So she um, had a really bad, um, like from writing, I believe. Um, and then she had an injury in her right hand. So uh, if I remember right from her uh, podcast was Wizards, Warriors and Wars Guys. But she was talking about how she, you know, just records everything yeah. on the way to school. She's an English teacher. So, you know, so she just, you know, reads the transcript and she just fixes the transcript, you know, and then an editor fixes that. So I do agree with you. I think there's, you know, so many different ways that, you know, you can, you know, figure yeah. it out. I mean, if you really want to, if you got good stories to tell, tell good stories, you know, I mean. Exactly. And, and if slightly reverse it, I know a lot of people who are fantastic at English and they write the most rubbish and most boring stories. Yeah. You know, the, the, yes, you need, totally true. you need both. You, you know, there you go, bored, sorry. Oh, but I've got this. I'm using the Oxford comma. Yeah, whatever. Um, you know, it's <laughs> Nobody cares. For you. Uh, yeah. Is your story good? Are your characters, can you relate to your characters? That's the important thing that's the passion you should be writing with that, that that people can relate to and writing things you know everything else can be tweaked and and if they, and, and it takes some it takes a vision of of and this is where you hope sometimes have that leap of faith if someone reads that who is in the publishing world who is they going do you know what this is a rough diamond yeah, yeah. we have the skills and abilities to polish this but you've got the know you have these wonderful stories in your head that you can articulate and tell and these characters people can buy into, yeah. you know. And it's just something that you were talking. We were talking earlier about your new book, and you're saying, "Oh, this group. You've got. You've obviously you've got the group of characters in your head. You're you're molding them. You're shaping them. You're, you're getting plot lines put in, like we all do. Going, oh yeah, that can go there, and then and then we can move forward with that. Some people can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, writers can. Yeah, and it doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't matter what your ability or disability is if you can do that then there's always someone that can help you. And yeah. that comes back to what I was saying earlier. Yes, when you write, it's lonely because you lock yourself, but you have to have that support mechanism around you to help you move forward. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, speaking of Kevin Hearn, like his Iron Druid Chronicles, his, uh, the magic system is like um, where the Druids, they feel and see threads um, between, you know, different beings and nature and mm. things. So they like they they switch their vision and then they see the magic spectrum and they can oh, see the threads yeah. it's really cool and i feel like that's how writing is like and that's interesting you know that he wrote a book like that because i feel like that's how writers are you know like writers have a different sight you know they can literally you see threads and you literally see the whole world and how we interact and all these things and world building whatever plot and you and like in that they see different types of magic in different colors and i feel that's mm -hmm. how writers are you know like you see character threads here there's a maybe it's green you know plots here maybe it's red you know world buildings mm -hmm. purple you know um you know whatever you know theme is blue you know whatever yeah. but i feel like i just when i read it the first i was like i was writing you know a bunch of books and stuff at that time when i read the first one and i was just like oh my god this is what it feels like to be a writer you know and 
I mean, you know, one of my kids the other day, he's like, you're, 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 you got like a superpower, you know, like I tell them stories all the time and, you know, and whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try to make things interesting, you know, in terms of teaching history, sometimes it's not, you know, and I think it's one of my kids who gave me a good comment. He's like, you see the threads of like people interacting, you know, and and I was like, well, I do write, you know, I said, I, that's (laughs) the thing that, you know, is most interesting to me, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, so you did have T2 as well then, right? So is that just a, another. Oh, right. So what I did was with my books, I wrote uh, Echoes of a Storm and I I was just going to write one book. That was it. One book index. And all of a sudden, the second book, I started thinking, what would happen? So then came Signs of the Storm. And then I thought, how the blooming heck am I supposed to advertise these books? So I wrote a whole lot of short stories. But each short story linked in, and that's how Tales for a Storm-Filled Night, I got all the short stories I I wrote that I pushed out for free on Amazon. I put them into one document, which was Stories for a Storm-Filled Night. Um, But I wrote T, and then... I had to, it wasn't the story, it finished. And all my books, they finish. You have completion. But I then thought, what happened next? And this is when I was writing the second trilogy. And I wanted to finish it off. So I wrote T2, because that was the bridge, that helped bridge between the end of the first trilogy and the start of the second trilogy. And I needed a Mm. little bit of bridge. So T2 sort of helped that bridge. Stories of Salvation and Damnation uh, was also the bridge book between the two. Um, and then I wrote, so A Dark and Hungry Storm, which was the end of my Storm series. And then one of, and, uh, one of my main characters, Solomon Pace, who is a baddie. He's, he's not particular, but the women loved him. I was like, yeah, yeah. No, are we really? And I'm going, he's not, oh, I don't care, he's not nice, we like him. So oh, yeah, okay. So I thought, well, they, so I start, but I, so I started to write shorts. I love doing short stories that are interlinked. So each one links up, but you, so you can have this. You don't have to worry about too much of of following stories. You can have little snippets. It's like episodes, and I always think of yeah, like yeah. episodes in a TV series. They all link together, but you can do each one separately. Yeah, yeah. And I did that, and again, Saskia did me a wonderful cover of Solomon, and. I, when I did my audiobooks, there's a, a, another American, well, Saskia's German, uh, another American, uh, Car- Carly Schultens, did my audiobooks, mm-hmm. which is really weird. I'll come back to Carly in a minute. But um, so, yeah, that's how um, that all came about, that I wrote all these little stories, but I wanted them to be, you, if you didn't read the story, you could read the trilogy and mm-hmm. it wouldn't impact it. But if you read this, the short stories, it gave you more information on the other ones. So it's about like an onion. You you can peel back layers. There's a, like there's a story in um, Tales for a Stormfield Night, um, in that reflects specifically against um, Echoes of a Storm. There's there's a there's a charity set up, uh, an orphanage charity, and I do a throwaway line. I love doing this. A throwaway line. Oh. Um, Kathleen was thinking about the murder that happened three years ago before she entered the building. A throwaway line. Mm. I just thought that might be quite interesting to pick up. Two years later, when I was writing the book of short stories, I went, that throwaway line, so I built on it because I wanted to write a murder mystery. I realised I could not write a murder mystery. I went, oh, <laughs> sugar, I can't write them. <laughs> so I had to twist them. <laughs> what am I going to write? So I, I, I filled it and I did what I wanted to do with an 
come back and do murder mysteries. Mm. Uh, I have no skill in that area at all. But I, I built on that. So I have a lot of little throwaway lines in my books that I then write a story that backs onto it. And you sort of read the shots of, ah, that's what they meant. But if you read the trilogy, that's fine. You don't need to. Or if you just read the short stories, you go, oh, that's fine. You don't need to know the main story. But I like the way that, and all my stories set in the Storm series world are all interlinked. They're either bridges. So, so, so what I wanted was a reader who picked up the first book to have an experience and flow through the books and they change and they adapt and they grow. I'm not so much character-based, though there are one or two characters for, I'm more the story evolves and grows. So characters may drop out, but new ones drop in. And you have this epic flow through to the end where might be two or three generations have gone through, but you can see how it started at the beginning. So if you wanted to pick that story up again and reread it in a year or two time, you go, ah, this is the beginning. This is how it started. I remember that. I remember this. Um, but going back to Solomon, yeah, Solomon was my, my villain. And, but everyone seemed to love him, and he's quite dark. But I didn't want to be the classic twizzle moustache villain. So he's, he's a little bit broken. You can understand why he does things, and you can understand why he does it. You might disagree how he does it, but you can understand <laughs> his motive behind it. So she did that wonderful cover of him, Blue, holding his, holding his walking stick. Um, and at the first start, The Deadly Tap of the King, I wrote when I was this moderator for this website, and WorldPress picked it up. And WorldPress is an international organization. Uh, it's on my Amazon thing. Um, they picked it up and they teach people to read. And um, oh, that's cool. And Africa and various other places. They, what they do is they get a whole lot of stories. They put them on Kindles and things like that. And they send them off. And what they wanted, Shakespeare's lovely. But in the modern day world, there's no oh, place for Shakespeare. Yeah. Right? Right, because Especially no if you're trying to learn English, <laughs> exactly. So what the whole different vernacular? Books. Oh, exactly. So what they wanted was short story books that people that spoke in proper English, uh, in modern English, that people could learn to read off of. And oh, that's a cool. dyslexic. Oh, bloody! But what we had to do was literally sign our life away. We had to sign the story. We get no money for it, no nothing. But I thought, do you know what? I don't care. The fact that this was good eight years ago. So that's a com- this company wants my story. And they're going, it's going to go out and people are going to read it. And they're never going to read another one of my books. These are people in Africa and other places learn to read. But I don't care about that. The fact that I've done this, that's enough for me. That's a yeah, big yeah. tip. And the fact it's going out. So I'll, like I said, I put it on my profile on Amazon. If you if you ever look at my profile, there's a thing World Reader on there linked to it. Um, so, yeah, so that I wrote, that's how the very first story of that came around. And then I just kept on adding stories to it. Um <laughs> And then I got that book. And then also did, but I later collated it, but Saskia did this wonderful, wonderful cover. Um, They're all really great, honestly. They're all really great. Have you seen the cover for the Midnight? Uh, um, I'll come to, since we're on Saskia, I hope you don't mind. I'm jumping all over the place down here. I do apologize. Saskia, right? I did my first stories. I went to my brother. I said, oh, my, my covers were awful. Literally, there was a black thing in red writing, and that was... My brother went, says, oh, oh, he says, I know this last. I'm on Facebook with her. She's in Germany. Um, she does covers. I said, oh, send her my email. I said, oh, hi. Yeah. So I emailed, he sent me this email. I said, oh, um, I'm, my brother said, I can contact you. I'd like to do my book. Um, and she, I got, what do you want to? I said, well, it's, it's a werewolf, and it's this girl. 
her English is my German, though I lived over there for three years, is not that great. And mm. my written German is non-existent. Her English is a wee bit better than mine. And I just gave this literally two sentences, and she came back with this cover. The the, the echoes of the storm. And I went, Oh my god, that is stunning. And I said, um, so, the whole, so I paid her for it, obviously, paid her for the cover. But she gave me a really good rate for it as well. And I wrote my second one. I said, sounds good. She said, yeah, yeah. She said, and I said, how? And my brother said, oh, she had kids. And I said, how's the kids? She went, I don't have kids. But my, she said, I don't know who your brother is. There were two Saskia-Snells, believe it or not, in Germany. Both <laughs> were illustrators. One had three kids. And, and the Saskia-Snell my brother gave me is uh, has done record company covers, has done magazine oh. covers. If you ever go to her website, she's done Adidas, she's done Mercedes, she's done album covers. She's done, I went, bloody hell, Saskia. She's done some superb work. And she said, and she, she'd come back and I phoned her up. She went, Alan, I like, this is, this is me on my downtime doing your covers. I like the fact that you don't just, you just give me emotions. And I draw the emotions. And that's how I miss a wrong email. It's crazy. <laughs> to someone who, who, and this is who, they, and then I came quite good friends with Saskia. Um, and the fact that I didn't, I just said, I literally, I just gave her two lines. Um, and she'd go, like, tea was two people having tea. That was it. And she came back with a cover. And she loved doing it because I, when she works for big clients, she has to be very specific and very nitpicky. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. just give her some emotion and she draws it. And I think there has only been one cover that I've ever gone back to her and said, can you change it? And that was Stories for a Storm-Filled Night. Um, that one, you'll see the guy in the front is uh, Nathaniel, who's yep. my main character. And behind him, in shadows, is Solomon. But, he's, but I said he had a cane, so she put a top hat on. I said, please, take, it doesn't have a top hat. So that was the only, and she took the top hat off. And that is the only cover I've ever, ever changed in all the ones she's ever done for me. Um, all the rest, they're literally, she just said, I went, brilliant, fantastic. Um, and she's never, ever done me wrong with any of my covers. And there's a couple up there that I've had to take down because I'm reworking the second series. Mm. Um I took down Midnight Man, A Kingdom Falls. Oh, okay. And like I say, um, I also had a book up there, like I say, the, the Moonlight Dance, which was three short stories for Solomon Pace, which I then combined with Tales of Solomon Pace. But the cover she did for the cover she did for that, uh, my wife nicked for our wedding invites. <laughs> it was two <laughs> people dancing in the at midnight in a forest, but she made it so like the earth, it was like the world. It was superb. And like I say, my wife just said, that's our wedding invite. It's okay. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> and that became that. Smart but, man. Um, <laughs> Smart man. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, you just go, yes. Yes, dear. <laughs> idea. No, that's that's how I got my covers. And she's done every single one of my covers. Well, um, Echoes, of the, Echoes except, of the Storm was, I mean, that's got to be, I I mean, like I said, I, I, was, I wanted to be an illustrator. I, I, I used to teach graphic design. I mean, that one in particular, I mean, they all look fabulous. Um, I like that one the most. And T2, too, is just with the teacups and having it be a yes. clock. Uh, if you're online, you got to go and check out, um, you know, Alan's um, Amazon. So um, be the second link there. That's what I usually do. And make sure you take a look right now and, uh, um, you know, check them out. Because, yeah, the T2 cover is absolutely brilliant. And 
um, Echoes of a Storm. I, that was the first one I think I saw. I was like, holy moly. Like, <laughs> it immediately made notice, me read the blurb. <laughs> <laughs> if you notice the birds coming out, there's like flights uh, of birds. She's yeah, yeah. echoed through that. So Signs of the Storms echoed through that. Dark and oh, Lonely cool. Storm. And, oh, yeah. I see uh, that now. Stories for cool. a Storm Filled Night. So that's, that links the covers together, those that's birds cool. coming out. And I don't think, I haven't got it in front of me, I don't think it's in Tales of Solomon Pace. I think that's just those, the trees that link it with the rest. Um, I was going to say, the ta- Tales again, of Salvation I, and Damnation, that's a really cool cover too. Now that one's got a wee bit of cover. That did, right, did, that caused a little bit of problems for it. Because I said, what I'd like was a werewolf, a vampire, and the church. And she couldn't get the church in there. Oh, yeah. But she got my werewolf and got my vampire. And oh, that, looks like, great. Where they're, they're sort of just looking at you, which ties in quite nicely with one of the stories. Because that's where I'm mainly right. I'm mainly a, right, a, va- a werewolf, but not the traditional werewolf sense. All my fantasy stuff, you won't get dwarfs, you're not going to get elves, that sort of thing. It is more werewolves, um, undead, but the, not the traditional lycanthropy werewolf. It's the spirits. I take a lot from Celtic spirits entering oh, someone's cool. body and they're yeah, transferring yeah. that way. And so you have the werewolves, which I call Dever, D E V, of V E R, are the werewolves. You've got the Merver, which is the, the water. You've got the Chosen, which are the air. And you, you've got, oh God, that's terrible. I can't remember. Uh, Twever is the fire spirits. So they enter someone's, so that they, um, they enter someone's body and they take over the body. And that's where they can then, they're in human form. And then they, they let the spirit take over them and they transfer into the werewolf form or what oh, the other cool. form is. And that's what I wanted to use. And my main character, Nathaniel, is uh, 30, 40, but he looks younger because of the regenerative power of having the spirit within him. And he's not had an easy life at all. And he's now the bodyguard to the um, bodyguard to the, uh, to the queen. And what I oh, wanted that, cool. and I, I touched on a lot of those sort of things. What I wanted, to, without too many spoilers, because I've sort of, it, it, you can see at the start, um, uh, what, I had this, this scene where the, the queen, her husband's died, our enemies are around her, and she's sitting on the throne. This guy's come and said, basically, marry me, force marry me, and I will then look after, because if you don't, all your enemies will come. And she's sitting on her throne going, do you see me as a weird, mere woman? And all of a sudden, this growl comes from behind her chair, and everyone's sort of looking around, and she goes, run. He goes, why? And all of a sudden, Nathaniel changes into the werewolf, and so next time, I said, have you met my bodyguard? That's yeah. cool. And then the boy, that actually came from a nightclub I was in once when, when I was very young, well, very young, 18, 19. This gorgeous looking girl was sitting, and this guy was chatting her up and she was having none of it. And then a boyfriend came. He was six foot six in all directions. <laughs> and literally, he just said to me, have you met my boyfriend? And these guys were like, oh, sugar. Or what's that general <laughs> effect? Because uh, they were quite needy. And this big, massive guy literally loomed over. I'll never forget it. She just sat there and I go, have you met my boyfriend? <laughs> That's awesome. And, so, and I'm so nick that. I'm like, That'd be fantastic. And yeah, yeah. Show That's the power cool. she controlled the beast, therefore controlled everything else. Um, so that's the sort of fantasy setting I've sort of built around, and I build and build and build on that as the books, and you learn a bit more about the world, and you learn a bit more about the world. And it's uh, and Echoes of the Storm is, people don't get it. It's not what people think. 
there's a very callback very specifically uh, why it's called Echoes of a Storm. Um, uh, but you, you only get that about three quarters through the book. And all of a sudden, it's sort of twist. I like twisting things around. Mm. Not like sudden going left field. You go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But, oh, that's why that's that. Mm. That's why that. And hopefully to... And some of the nice reviews I've got people say was a page turn because I got to the end of the chapter and they went, oh, God, the next one. I do like ending on a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so Gotta I keep going. Like, you know, keep going. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the world I built with all those books and the, the pictures that came in. And then I wanted to become an audio book. And, of course, it's a male book. And, of course, me being Scottish, there's a lot of Scottish elements through it. And so I was looking, I went on to Audible and I was looking for someone to, to voice it. And I got, oh, some really awful people. I thought, <laughs> no, this is, I got one who is just deadpan, no emotion at all in the oh, voice. Yeah, yeah. You're killing it. Thank you very much for auditioning, but no. <laughs> um, and I never thought about, and then Carly came on and she just read it and I went, it works. Bloody hell. And excuse my French, and I was going, I, I, I never tried for a woman to read it, but I've got a lot of female characters, and it, her voice she does for Solomon Pace is perfect. It's almost like Transylvanian like, oh, mid European, cool. and she's got this wonderful voice, and she's got the, she, she had fun. She said she actually had fun playing Solomon because it, it's, it's quite subtle, and it was like slightly boring. Uh, but because he's got, and she's just done this. Uh, if I ever had to say anybody, if you want to read one of my, my books, it's Tales of Solomon Pace. If you like that, you'll like my work. And if you get that, you get the audio book for about a five dollars, ten dollars, whatever it is, off of Amazon, and just listen to Carly do Tales of Solomon Pace. Um, that that is such that, that. If you like those those two things, you'll like the rest of my work. If you hate it, you'll hate the rest of my work. <laughs> um, it, it really is as simple as that. My sci-fi one is the most political I've written, The Wife Front, Chron mm. Front Chronicles. That was when I was getting as a moderator for this website that's finished. And I was, as I said, I was moderating sci-fi and horror. So I had to put something up every, and I thought, I'll have to put something up every week because I'm the moderator. I'll do a diary. Never do a diary in first person. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, what was I thinking? Diary, first person. Because trying to, it's almost impossible to put whole plot things and tell things. But I started doing this. And I don't know why. I really don't know why. One of the things, he's in space, on his spacecraft. He decides he's got to go and buy a new undergarment. Right? I don't know where it came from. I put this in. <laughs> And the feedback I got from women was unbelievable. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. What pairs he bought next? I'm going, all right, okay. So I just went with it. But it is, me being ex-forces, the way at the time is how people treat ex-military. Oh, that's cool. Um, I wanted, again, my books try and reflect, without shoving it down people's throats. People leave the military. I don't know what it's like in the US, but some some they did a report. Some like seventy percent of homeless people are ex-military. It's I think it's sixty-five years. right now in the United States. It's pretty I up there. Up I was in the RAF, Royal Air Force. I was a caterer. I was, <laughs> I, was a, I was a catering accountant in the Royal Air Force from eighty-nine to two thousand. But twelve years of my life was living on a camp, speaking uh, military speak, 
everything I knew was military. You come out of that, and that, of course, Scot Scottish, but I ended up in England. Oh, you, you don't, your family's no longer there. Your life is in a different country or maybe in a different state if in America. And all of a sudden, nobody cares about what you've done. You go to a job and you can't talk to them because you, you're used to talking to military speak. Military people, these are other people, and they're going, what the hell are you talking about? And unless you have a family or something to, to bring you back, it took me about three years to adjust. But some people, especially in the army, can't adjust. They just like, and they go, oh, look at those people drinking. You don't understand. They've seen things that you've never seen. Yeah. I always, I have never fired my rifle in anger. And I always thank whatever small gods they are. I never had to do that. But I've met people, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that there's such a huge culture shock of coming out and people go oh yeah and that's why i wanted to write this 